0: I have set myself the task of relating in the course of this story, without suppressing or altering a single detail, the most painful and humiliating episode in my life. I do this not because it will give me the least pleasure, but simply because it affords me an opportunity of extenuating myself which has hitherto been wholly denied to me. As a general rule, I am quite aware that to publish a lengthy explanation of one's conduct in any questionable transaction is not the best means of recovering a lost reputation, but in my own case there is one to whom I shall never more be permitted to justify myself by word of mouth even if I found myself able to attempt it. And as she could not possibly think worse of me than she does at present, I write this, knowing it can do me no harm." And faintly hoping that it may come to her notice and suggest a doubt whether I am quite so unscrupulous a villain, so consummate a hypocrite, as I have been forced to appear in her eyes. The bare chance of such a result makes me perfectly indifferent to all else. I cheerfully expose to the derision of the whole reading world the story of my weakness and my shame, since by doing so I may possibly rehabilitate myself somewhat in the good opinion of one person. Having said so much, I will begin my confession without further delay. My name is Algernon Weatherhead, and I may add that I am in one of the government departments, that I am an only son, and live at home with my mother. We had had a house at Hammersmith until just before the period covered by this history, when, our lease expiring, my mother decided that my health required country air at the close of the day and so we took a desirable villa residence on one of the many new building estates which have lately sprung up in such profusion in the home counties. We have called it Wisteria Villa. It is a pretty little place, the last of a row of detached villas, each with its tiny rustic carriage gate and gravel sweep in front and lawn enough for a tennis court behind, which lines the road leading over the hill to the railway station. I could certainly have wished that our landlord, shortly after giving us the agreement, could have found some other place to hang himself in than one of our attics, for the consequence was that a housemaid left us in violent hysterics about every two months, having learnt the tragedy from the tradespeople, and naturally seen a something immediately afterwards. Still, it is a pleasant house, and I can now almost forgive the landlord for what I shall always consider an act of gross selfishness on his part. In the country, even so near town, a next-door neighbor is something more than a mere numeral, he is a possible acquaintance, who will at least consider a newcomer as worth the experiment of a call. I soon knew that Shuttergarden, the next house to our own, was occupied by a Colonel Curry, a retired Indian officer, and often, as across the low boundary while I caught a glimpse of a graceful girlish figure flitting about amongst the rose bushes in the neighboring garden, I would lose myself in pleasant anticipations of a time not far distant when the wall which separated us would be, metaphorically, leveled. I remember, ah, how vividly, the thrill of excitement with which I heard from my mother on returning from town one evening that the Curries had called, and seemed disposed to be all that was neighborly and kind. I remember, too, the Sunday afternoon on which I returned their call alone, as my mother had already done so during the week. I was standing on the steps of the colonel's villa waiting for the door to open when I was startled by a furious snarling and yapping behind, and, looking round, discovered a large poodle in the act of making for my legs. He was a coal-black poodle, with half of his right ear gone, and absurd little thick mustaches at the end of his nose, he was shaved in the sham-lion fashion, which is considered, for some mysterious reason, to improve a poodle— but the barber had left sundry little tufts of hair which studded his haunches capriciously. I could not help being reminded, as I looked at him, of another black poodle which Faust entertained for a short time, with unhappy results, and I thought that a very moderate degree of incantation would be enough to bring the fiend out of this brute. He made me intensely uncomfortable, for I am of a slightly nervous temperament, with a constitutional horror of dogs, and a liability to attacks of diffidence on performing the ordinary social rites under the most favorable conditions, and certainly the consciousness that a strange and apparently savage dog was engaged in worrying the heels of my boots was the reverse of reassuring. The Curry family received me with all possible kindness, so charmed to make your acquaintance, Mr. Weatherhead, said Mrs. Curry, as I shook hands. I see, she added pleasantly, you've brought the doggie in with you. As a matter of fact, I had brought the doggie in at the ends of my coat-tails, but it was evidently no unusual occurrence for visitors to appear in this undignified manner, for she detached him quite as a matter of course, and, as soon as I was sufficiently collected, we fell into conversation. I discovered that the colonel and his wife were childless, and the slender willowy figure I had seen across the garden wall was that of Lillian Roseblade their niece and adopted daughter. She came into the room shortly afterwards, and I felt, as I went through the form of an introduction, that her sweet fresh face, shaded by soft masses of dusky brown hair, more than justified all the dreamy hopes and fancies with which I had looked forward to that moment. She talked to me in a pretty, confidential, appealing way, which I have heard her dearest friends censure as childish and affected, But I thought then that her manner had an indescribable charm and fascination about it, and the memory of it makes my heart ache now with a pang that is not all pain. Even before the colonel made his appearance I had begun to see that my enemy, the poodle, occupied an exceptional position in that household. It was abundantly clear by the time I took my leave. He seemed to be the center of their domestic system, and even lovely Lillian revolved contentedly around him as a kind of satellite, he could do no wrong in his owner's eyes, his prejudices, and he was a narrow-minded animal, were rigorously respected, and all domestic arrangements were made with a primary view to his convenience. I may be wrong, but I cannot think that it is wise to put any poodle upon such a pedestal as that. How this one in particular, as ordinary a quadruped as ever breathed, had contrived to impose thus upon his infatuated proprietors, I never could understand, but so it was he even engrossed the chief part of the conversation, which after any lull seemed to veer round to him by a sort of natural law. I had to endure a long biographical sketch of him, what a society paper would call an anecdotal photo and each fresh anecdote seemed to me to exhibit the depraved malignity of the beast in a more glaring light and render the doting admiration of the family more astounding than ever. Did you tell Mr. Weatherhead, Lily, about Bingo, Bingo was the poodle's preposterous name, and Tax? No. Oh, I, must, tell him that it'll make him laugh. Tax is our gardener down in the village, do you know Tax? Well, Tax was up here the other day, nailing up some trellis work at the top of a ladder, and all the time there was Master Bingo sitting quietly at the foot of it looking on, wouldn't leave it on any account. Tax said he was quite company for him. Well, at last, when Tax had finished and was coming down, what do you think that rascal there did? Just sneaked quietly up behind and nipped him in both calves and ran off. Been looking out for that the whole time. Ha ha, deep that, eh? I agreed with an inward shudder that it was very deep, thinking privately that, if this was a specimen of Bingo's usual treatment of the natives, it would be odd if he did not find himself deeper still before probably, just, before he died. Poor faithful old doggie, murmured Mrs. Curry, he thought Tax was a nasty burglar, didn't he? He wasn't going to see Master robbed, was he? Capital house dog, sir, struck in the colonel." Gad, I shall never forget how he made poor Heavisides run for it the other day. Ever met Heavisides of the Bombay Fusiliers? Well, Heavisides was staying here, and the dog met him one morning as he was coming down from the bathroom. Didn't recognize him in pajamas and a dressing gown, of course, and made it him. He kept poor old Heavisides outside the landing window on the top of the cistern for a quarter of an hour— till I had to come and raise the siege. Such were the stories of that abandoned dog's blunderheaded ferocity to which I was forced to listen, while all the time the brute sat opposite me on the hearthrug, blinking at me from under his shaggy mane with his evil bleared eyes, and deliberating where he would have me when I rose to go. This was the beginning of an intimacy which soon displaced all ceremony. It was very pleasant to go in there after dinner, even to sit with the colonel over his claret and hear more stories about bingo, for afterwards I could go into the pretty drawing-room and take my tea from Lillian's hands and listen while she played Schubert to us in the summer twilight. The poodle was always in the way, to be sure, but even his ugly black head seemed to lose some of its ugliness and ferocity when Lillian laid her pretty hand on it.